This episode of Talk Your Book is proudly brought to you by Honan, providing a complete range of insurance, risk, and financial solutions. Bundy's called me up, told me to take a look, but stay stubborn as bulls and talk their own book. Get the money, get the money, get, get the money. Well, Nick, welcome back to, uh, to Talk Your Book. Really appreciate your time. Maybe before we get into a, a bit of an overall look at the market and a couple of stock picks at the end, if we could start with Spadium Capital and, and what your guys' overall investment philosophy is. Yeah, sounds good. Uh, thanks for having us back on, Chris. It's uh, really appreciate it. So Spadium Capital uh, is a, a fund that revolves primarily around uh, a higher turnover approach of businesses. On average, uh, we're holding companies for about 30 to 45 days. Uh, it's a long-only fund uh, within the ASX 300 universe, um, and we are fully invested at all points in the cycle. We like to have less than 1% cash uh, in the fund. We're not trying to market time or, or provide some of those forecasts. Um, we've been around for over three years now, and uh, again, just thanking people like yourself for helping us get the uh, the brand name out there and uh, the awareness of our product. And what are some of the broad market indicators that that you guys follow closely? Yeah, it's one of those things we try to get too bogged down in, but um, we can't help but be dragged into obviously the recent discussions around inflation and and ESG, um, both components that are red hot at the moment on everyone's minds and and the inflation probably breaking out to two components of uh, both price inflation and, and wage inflation and what we mean by that is that the price inflation is looking at uh, if you had a static example for uh, for example that you had 100 apples and uh, 100 dollars and that's the only thing you could buy or sell uh, every apple is worth one dollar but if you suddenly change the monetary base to be 200 dollars, but there's still only 100 apples every apple is now worth $2. And that's probably something we've seen uh, in risk assets. Um, people are realising, and I'd be curious to get your thoughts on this, Chris, and how deep you are in the US debt market and all that sort of cycle. But there's only a limited number of hard assets out there. And, and the US government continues to print more money. Central banks around the world keep printing more money. And that's uh, probably helped lift uh, assets that you can't print more of, such as land or or art um, and other hard assets that you can touch and feel. Um, and that's having some pushback from, from the younger generation that often don't have those apples. They don't have uh, homes already. They haven't enjoyed the capital gain uplift that uh, the older generation has enjoyed. And that's now driving wage inflation. People are stuck at home. Uh, the number one seek term uh, is work from home. People want to stay at home and work from home. And uh, to get people into jobs that they have to put on some work boots or put on a suit and get out of the home, uh, they're probably going to need to be paid a little bit more to uh, encourage them out of their home. So quite, quite interesting at the moment. I think the scary bit with that wage inflation is that, that wages really are starting to tick up, which I don't think anyone could dispute. Is it it's something that really needs to happen considering the appreciation that there's been in, in asset prices? But if you look at real wages... They're not going up because all of a sudden, whilst the wages are going up, all of a sudden we've got inflation and and the extra dollar that that em, employees are earning is being chewed up by an invisible tax that that's called inflation. So this does start to 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 potentially get ugly when e even that wage inflation isn't giving you know em, employers the the benefits or the advantages that they've missed out on for so long compared to people with with assets. Oh, 100%. And I mean, the interesting part about that, that wage inflation example, uh, there was a paper I was going through last 
think that one of the headline grabbing comments was there's never been a better time to be young and broke. And what they meant by that was is exactly what you've said. Uh, you might not have assets, you might not have that capital appreciation. And yes, things are starting to get more expensive on an inflation front, especially in the US, um, but wages are looking to increase with that. So you'll still be fine. The serviceability of your mortgage or your rent or however you choose to live your life is staying, as you've said, roughly about the same. Um, what's concerning is for self-funded retirees, for example, those that uh, hypothetically retired with a million dollars, they might spend $50,000 a year pretending there's no inflation or CPI for a second. They have 20 years until they run out of money. As you said, this inflation is now kicking in and creeping in and uh, they need to either sit on cash and suffer, as you said, the invisible tax of, of inflation that's eating away their purchasing power or try and grow those, those assets. And what we've seen in the last 12 months has been really fascinating. The traditional inflation environment of park it in some government bonds, park it in some gold, and maybe have a little bit of cash that's nice and safe and defensive, you would have lost 10% of your wealth during that last 12-month period. Um, risk off has hurt. And, and then the opposite to that, that side of the coin is the risk on measure. It doesn't really matter what you picked. Uh, property has gone up by about 20%, equities by about 30 and obviously something not that we focus on too much, but I know you've got a lot of experience in, Chris. Um, cryptocurrencies probably didn't matter which one you picked. Um, risk on assets have had a fantastic period. And the older generation really need to start looking at, um, it's not like 2005 where I could wander down to Commonwealth Bank, get a 5% long-term term deposit, uh, inflation's ticking along at three or 4%. Sure, I'm not making any money, but I'm not losing any money. Uh, if you're not working anymore, you, there's a real propensity that your nest egg's going backwards rather than forwards. And ESG, we're hearing more and more about, um... You know, climate change is a huge topic, particularly in Australia at the minute. What what role is this whole ESG movement uh, having on on inflation and, and CPI numbers around the world? Yeah, it's a it's an interesting metric uh, that we've we've spoken about a bit here, in the sense that developed markets um, are are enjoying inflation in products that you might deem luxury goods, uh, organic products, electric vehicles, um, things of that nature that aren't necessities per se, um, but are additional to um, what, you, what you want to do with your life and how you want to enjoy it. The developing market something that we think is a little bit interesting uh, in terms of ESG and, and possibly the next 10 to 20 years going forward. Commonwealth Bank have initiated a prototype product at the moment, allowing people to assess what is their carbon impact how much do they drive, what are, how much are they eating and consuming and whatnot, and determining how much carbon they're outputting. And they can elect to pay Commonwealth Bank to help offset that carbon credit. It's an interesting strategy because does that open up a market to price uh, what, what is your carbon footprint, how much is that worth, and how much are you willing to pay for it? And I guess the flip side of that, uh, businesses that are doing ESG at the moment because it feels good or, or the shareholders love it, in 5, 10, 15 years, does this open up a market for we're going to start doing ESG products, not because they're, they're the right thing to do, but they're also good for the balance sheet. We can get carbon credits um, from people willing to neutralise and taken one step further, do you extend this to the developing markets that you take uh, traditional uh, fishermen or farmers that might go about uh, instead of fish or cattle, they might start farming uh, seaweed in the oceans or, or planting trees on the land 
not because they want to sell the seaweed or they want to sell the wood, but they're getting paid for the carbon credits and that's their economic incentive. Um, I think as we spoke about before the call, the climate change is, is, is quite real, it's quite here to stay. And the answer isn't going to be having one or two people stop eating meat or riding a push bike. It's going to be encouraging the corporates who contribute most of the, the pollution to economically change their ways. It feels to me that the, the, the big ESG pushes a, a split between two groups. There's a, the majority that genuinely care about the environment. And then there's another group that really just realised that this complexity brings margin in, and opportunities into their business. And we've seen middlemen in, in uh, all sorts of industries get disrupted through blockchain technologies, various other technologies online. And it's, it's actually a really bad time to be a, a middleman in business. Hmm. But all of a sudden, when you do bring in this ESG compliance, you can get some margin back into banking products or different products where margins have been been ripped out. Is that a part of what you're seeing happening? It's definitely a consideration. The the young bracket that we were talking about earlier are willing to pay for this. They're willing to support businesses and buy their products, not because they only like the products, but because the business is doing well for the environment or the local community. Uh, and the opposite is true. You can't be a business anymore that isn't considering these um, social constructs at all. Um, where I think it's interesting, especially the, the rising costs of uh, most notably a lot of the mining outputs because they're struggling to attract capital because of this ESG push, um, which has actually driven up the price of their outputs, quite ironically. Um, as we all know, there's, there's part of the pun, it's still a truckload of mining left to do uh, for lithium and for silver, for computer parts and whatnot, before we get to this Tesla driving solar panel house um, utopia. Um, there's still a lot of damage left to be done. And, and to our earlier point on the carbon credits, do we, similar to the vaccine rollout, you know, we should have done it early and hit it hard and we would have all got a year of our lives back. Do we incentivize these mining companies to speed up production of those damaging, environmentally damaging problems um, and get us to that utopia quicker, get us to carbon net or negative sooner? Or does this drag out for an extended period of time and in doing so cause more social harm and damage in the process? What, what's the right answer? So um, for us, looking for businesses that are not just doing it because they have to, but genuinely, uh, I guess, leadership showing those qualities uh, quite robustly. And we've seen oil supply and, and capex on, on oil exploration drop through the floor and the price rising uh, really sharply already, uh, now over 80 bucks a barrel. What happens if oil gets to $200 and people need to choose between climate change, which is a really important issue, or the fact that now there's millions of people around the world that can't afford to eat because input costs like fertiliser and, and various other input costs for food have gone through the roof. How do you see that playing out if, if, if oil capex keeps staying really low and demand's still increasing? Uh, currently, what do you think plays out there if we do see an oil price well north of $100? Yeah, there's a, a great colleague of ours, uh, Nick Ferris, a fund manager out of Singapore, wrote a, a note last week, leveraging off Morgan Stanley's research. We're chewing through about 90 million barrels of oil a day 
Um, and before we get to solving this uh, climate change issue, uh, they're estimating it somewhere between 105 and 110 million are going to be needed per day. So it's, it's going to get worse before it gets better. The price is an interesting point. Um, as you said, it's, it's constricting um, the ability for private businesses to go out and find new pockets or, or cheaper pockets to produce. Um, and that will drive up the price of oil and oil derivatives such as kerosene and, and other products that are used in, as you've said, cooking materials in developing nations um, who aren't worried about organic vegetables. They're not worried about a Tesla. Um, they're worried about tomorrow's lunch or tomorrow's dinner. Um, and if you're taking price out of that budget and increasing the price of that, you're right, it could lead to some very um, damaging, more, more social damage than what climate change set out to begin with. The only key, uh, I guess, parachute involved in this, um, oil reaching 200, I'm not sure if OPEC uh, and, and obviously some of the um, Saudi countries and similar would, would allow it to get that high before they started flooding some supply. I'm not sure if that's a political way of solving it. Um, but if oil hit 200, it'd be an absolute disaster. If it stayed at 200, it'd be an absolute disaster, absolutely no doubt. And so we've spoken a bit about inflation and in effect, a, a steepening of the yield curve. What types of businesses do you look to invest in, in in this environment when we are starting to see the early shoots of of higher inflation? It's a funny one. I mean, historically, uh, an allocation that you'd look to have, uh, if you're a, an older person in our prior example, would involve that sort of split out of government bonds, uh, gold and, and cash. And, uh, and that would have led to a loss of capital over the last 12 months of about 10%, as we noted earlier. Um, those businesses, uh, sorry, that, that structure doesn't quite work the same anymore. What we're looking for in this rising rate environment is potentials or pockets of opportunity. Um, not that we're starting with an ESG lens, but that have an ESG upside or, or actually in the opposite case, sometimes don't have an ESG downside, that they're not going to have um, the market turn against them for what they choose to do. Mining companies are very good at what they do. We, we pay them to do that process um, they've been hit very hard are some of them in a position that uh, the market tends to, to hate on these companies might reduce over the next three to five years uh, we certainly feel so they've still got work left to do um, and, and other related industries that cause social harm um, have also been hit pretty hard so we're just looking for some of that catalyst there uh, more so on the SG than we are worried about inflation given our higher turnover approach it's um, we're rotating quite quickly and you've got a couple of short-term or three short-term trade ideas that you're looking at. Why don't you take us through the first one of them? Yeah, sure. So I guess the first one for us is uh, kind of that ESG negative example. Uh, Sky City Entertainment Group, uh, about a five, six billion New Zealand dollar business, um, obviously running several casinos and doesn't fill that ESG flair in terms of uh, addiction and gambling and alcohol uh, use and whatnot. Um, but they do operate, you know, a, a lot of businesses in terms of uh, hotels. They've got the four casinos, um, international travels down about 95%. The businesses has stayed open in New Zealand for most of this, this pandemic, so they've still been turning over revenue. Um, what we're looking at there is there's a lot of people who've managed to stay employed through this period. They haven't had anything to spend it on and where might that cash go in the COVID opening uh, scenario. So for that one there, we've got a $3.06 price target. It's currently hovering at about three. We're still in our monitor zone um, for us. So having a bit of a look at that. And they've had a bit of negative press, haven't they, recently? I reckon 60 Minutes did an expose on them. They were linked to some of the issues Crown had. Are they the types of opportunities that generally come across your desk where you feel that 
the negative sentiment has just overshot a little bit and all of a sudden there is a short-term trading opportunity? Spot on, spot on. I mean, it's uh, we all know what's happened with uh, Star and, and Crown, of course, and uh, Sky City sort of been lobbed in with the group. Uh, Oztrack announced they were uh, having a look into the Adelaide operation of the casino. The, the management company, or the board rather, and, and the management top execs has pretty much rotated uh, quite a lot in the last 12 months. They've committed to being fully transparent and cooperative. Uh, we don't see that as a particular risk um, in terms of compliance. The outcome will, will be what it'll be. But 100% right. There's, there's definitely a propensity that this industry and sector has been pushed um, quite hard. And in our opinion, Sky City unfairly so um, compared to its peer set. And what's the next opportunity you wanted to speak about? Yeah, so this is probably more of a feel-good story from Finnish uh, <laughs> It's uh, going to be labelled the bad guy soon if you have too many of these, uh, these exactly stories. Right. Exactly right. No, we're not. We're not just a mining house here. Uh, the next one for us is Pack Group Holdings. So they specialise in uh, recycling, reuse, and uh, and other related um, environmentally socially conscious. Um, packaging and packaging materials for supply chains. Um, the 295th on the ASX 300 list, so quite quite at the bottom, there's sort of a new entrant that might have been overlooked, um, probably not a household name just yet. Um, but what is exciting about them, they've had a, a return on uh, their capital of about 11%. They've got an M&A division now targeting projects of 15% or more return on that capital. They've made two acquisitions. Um, and what's, I think, interesting about them is it's, this isn't a couple of uh, guys and girls in a, in a factory hoping the world was a, a bit of a greener place. There's a thousand employees. It's a billion dollar operation. Um, it's a significant scale business. Um, and they're sort of pushing a lot of that um, uplift in recycling rates. One of their presentations notes, it's about 2% of all single use plastics are actually being reused, um, which, is, which is quite staggering really. Uh, targeting 20% by 2025 and, uh, and obviously uplifts in other recyclable areas. Um, interesting business model, definitely an ESG flavour um, and certainly something that I think people in our landscape, uh, especially retail investors, uh, probably more than ever before saying, I haven't quite got to the point or I've just started my real estate journey. I've never been investing in the stock market. I want to throw 10, 20 or $30,000 at the market I don't know where just yet, um, but if I do, I want to put it into a business that makes me feel good um, and, and does right for the, for the environment and the community. That diffusion of investment base, we think, might add some volatility to the product, but also generally will add some value long-term, having more people who are buying it for their mission rather than for the business. In contrast to Sky City, who has over 80% of their, their business owned by a, a smaller minority of more institutional investors, if you like. And what's the current price of Pact and, and what sort of target price have you got on it? Yeah, so for us, we've got a, a 356 price target on that one. It was hovering just around the $3 range, uh, just above, um, and certainly something that we're, we're going to keep an eye on that one. We're pretty excited about that one. And what's the last opportunity that, uh, that you're looking at? Yeah, so the last one for us sort of straddles the line between um, the ESG flavour. It's uh, probably, as they call themselves, the better big bank, uh, Bendigo Bank. Um, it's an interesting stock for myself. It was the, the one that started it all. Uh, my parents bought me uh, a couple of thousand dollars of it 
I think I was 13 or 14 years old as a, a birthday present, a Christmas present. Ironically, it's at the same price it was when we got it back then, huh. um, but it has had you know, a 5% dividend yield um, currently and, and has paid good dividends throughout. Um, they have done quite a lot of social good in terms of bushfire uh, relief and charitable raising. They do grants for rural farmers and farmers' children uh, in terms of both education and, and grants. Um, going forward, there may be a propensity for people to be more interested in going with a bank that, that does that social good rather than purely just an interest rate decision um, and something that we're quite excited about. So we've got a $9.92 price target on that one. Um, and uh, we'll see how that, that continues. Beautiful, Nick. Well, thanks very much for, for coming back on, mate. Always love to, to catch up and have a chat. So thanks very much for your time. No, I appreciate it. Thanks, Chris. This episode of Talk Your Book was proudly brought to you by Honan, who go beyond a transactional insurance broker to deliver better outcomes for their clients. If you're enjoying Talk Your Book, make sure you subscribe to Chris Judd Invest. Nothing you hear today should be considered investment advice. Please do your own research and seek out your own financial advisor before committing any capital to these markets.